Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, Glenn James here and... John Pigeon. John, today it's an episode about property, mortgages, inheritances and dream homes. We cover a lot of ground this episode. Absolutely, meat and sauce. Love it. A uh, heap of questions here we're going to get into, uh, but if you haven't already heard, there may have been an ad before this episode, my book is now available to be purchased. Click the link in the show notes. If you buy more than one copy, there's a current promo, 35% discount, link in the show notes. Heaps of people are buying gifts for friends and family uh, because it will be out 1st of October, ready for Christmas. If you run a small business or you want to gift these to your staff or clients, use that link on the website, John, with Booktopia. I put in $5,000 just for lols. It was still $7.95 postage. So. Get on there, buy it, and just quickly before we start, uh, there's been a few questions in the Facebook group about investing. Uh, There's a link in the show notes uh, to two at least 40-minute tutorials I did on YouTube profiling what an investment platform is, and I did a case study on the Vanguard Personal Investor, and then I profiled... uh, a couple of Vanguard ETFs. Wow, how do you get all this time? John... I don't know. Mm. All right, you ready to have a chat? Let's do it. All right. So, John, there's a question from Jimmy, and he sent this question into questions at mymillennial.money, and we welcome everyone's questions, but keep them short. I'm looking to enter the property market within Melbourne, but as you guys know, the market is heated at the moment, and many of the house prices even on the more affordable side, can go for, you know, 750k. My dilemma is I'm looking to switch jobs in the next one to two years. Therefore, my income will likely take a significant hit and become erratic. Sounds like me. (laughs) Just in general. In in general. Should I try and enter the market now or should I wait until I find myself a work environment that's stable prior to purchasing? Knowing that the market will change... However, I'm also worried that as a contractor, I do not have the stable income and a change in job may result in me not being able to service a loan. Uh, We've got some other details there. Um, This current financial year, his income uh, is going to be around 120 before tax and it might increase up to 160. He's got 55 grand saved uh, and 12K in a share portfolio. Uh, I also currently split up my time between renting but also living with my partner due to work commitment. So, lots going on there. Mm. I basically want to just chat about uh, saying, well, we'll just say conservatively, John, in 12 months' time, uh, Jimmy's income could get wild. Yeah. What are you doing? Well, Jimmy, uh, No, I'm asking you, what are you doing with your life? (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy, uh, it's a common one, Jimmy, because um, people change jobs often through their lifetime and they've got some key decisions that they need to make and factor in. So 
well done for, for thinking ahead and and I would challenge you to look far beyond this and, and go five to ten years into the distance and, and see what you really want in terms of your own home or investments, etc., whether it's rent vesting or to, to live in your own home. But also look at things that are in your control and, and things that are out of our control. Now, those ones that are out of our control is what the property markets are going to do in terms of growth. Um, that's one example. Things that are in our control is how much we are earning and, and how much we're keeping um, as a deposit for that purchase. So the best time to buy is always now, I believe. But if you can't get what you want for that type of money, is that going to change in the next 12 months to two years? That, that's what we've got to be asking. And if the 750 markets go up to 850, but our our incomes have increased and our deposits have increased, then it may be all relative. So so just understanding the implications of holding out um, versus going and, um, and, yes, buying something now, at least we know we're in the market and uh, any, any growth we're going to take advantage of. What do you reckon, Glenn? So I'm just looking at this and I think you're right. Like when we want to buy property, it's a buy and hold for the long term. You know, it's got to be at least five or six years, I believe. Uh, but if I was in Jimmy's shoes, what I would personally do is, uh, you know, you've got 55K saved up in the bank. So we've got some savings behind us. I would probably go and just get a pre-approval, speak to a broker, get a pre-approval for whatever amount. Uh, your income's good from what I can read here, no financial dependence. And if you can get approval for, say, 700 grand and, you know, you throw your 50 grand in or whatever that looks like, I'd probably then go shopping and just, if you can get something that fits and works, go and grab it. Because the way I'm thinking, John, is if in 12 months, 18 months or two years, your income does change, well, it will change on paper from what a lender says. So, a lender might say, well, no, you're self-employed now, you've got choppy income, you need to wait two years. So, on paper, it might change. But in reality, Jimmy, you're not going to go down to being a 50K income earner. Like, if you're earning 120K, you're just in that sphere. So, what I would probably do is say, if you can get a mortgage now and if you can find that property now and get into it, we'll go and do it. And then in two years' time, if situation changes, make sure you buy smart. So, at least if you have to move out or move in with your partner, flick it over to an investment property and you're done. So, I'm kind of saying do it now while you've got the income because it's the same discussion, John. People might be thinking, oh, we want to start a family. We want to do all this stuff. Uh, We want to travel in the future. Well, if your income is going to be choppy later on with travel or with, you know, one partner taking time off from work, grab the property now and get into it as yeah. long as you buy right and you're strategic with your mortgage structure. Yeah, and, and look, he's, he's on 120 now before tax. He's saying that it may vary between 100 and 160. So it's not absolute game changer in terms of income, is it? Um, like it'll increase his serviceability if it's 160, um, but if it drops to 100, then it obviously reduces. I think the question... I suppose the frustration for Jimmy and many others in Melbourne is what is 750 going to get me mm-hmm. and not to buy in 
to a inferior product for seven fifty just because that's all I can afford. And I guess I'm saying, John, probably my comments about get pre approval, buy a place, and it'll all be okay. I'm not speaking to the supply and the demand issues and all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. Don't know if Jimmy's thought of this, but can we pivot left or right and say, well, it's not Melbourne. It might be an investment somewhere else. Like, mm. I don't know how important living in his own home is. Yeah, there's a lot of factors, but we're just surmising. But I, I would think as well, like, and it really does depend on what you're doing as a career. So, I'll give uh, you an example. Uh, you're a employee physio at a hospital. Okay, you're earning your 100 grand and probably a lot of employee physios at the moment thinking that'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, but we'll just say you're an employee earning 90 grand or whatever at the hospital. Then in a year's time, you then uh, go into private practice and you are considered a contractor and you're still earning that 90 or 100 grand in private practice as a contractor. But I would imagine a good broker would be able to sit with you and go, no, there are lenders that will see that, look, you're in the same industry, uh, you're doing the same work, you, your income's not actually going to be affected realistically. Yeah. So, while on paper it looks like it's now chopped and changed, in some instances, it's not a showstopper for lending. No. Yeah. And, and it is Am I what a mortgage broker now? <clears throat> trying to be. Uh, <laughs> it is what it is at the time in your life. Like... He's 25 right now. Fast forward to 35, he could be on 200 grand a year. Um, the situation is totally different, isn't it? So it's just understanding what it is now and what you can afford and, and don't get caught up in what you'd ideally like now but can't have it. Oh, this is interesting. It's probably very material that I didn't read because uh, I just tried to get the, the headline points. Uh, as you said, he's 25, recently finished university a couple of years ago. He's already working as a sole trader and um, his income does. I mean, if you're working as a sole trader now and you can get a mortgage, you, I don't think you're going to have any issues if in 12 months or two years your income is chopping and changing again. No, the, the only thing on the sole trader bit is if we're going to change to uh, as a, uh, working as a company or having a company structure because then the, in a lot of cases, the banks will say this company needs to trade for at least 12 months um, up to two years. Yeah, but I would also hypothesise that there might be some second-tier lenders that can use their brain and say that it's just an accounting thing or an asset protection thing. It could be, but I've seen it before where mm. it has affected someone. So, yeah, if it is when you are moving to that 100, 160 um, Jimmy and is company, not sole trader, then absolutely take that into account. And that's why we need a good mortgage broker in our uh, corner, friends, because we need to ensure that we're strategic in our thinking uh, and, and then telling that mortgage broker the whole story and not just get me alone. Okay. So, just bookending this conversation, maybe we have to with our strategy because we always need a strategy, whether it's to buy and hold and live there and be carried out in a box and all that. Mm. Maybe the strategy is, in Jimmy's mind, he's getting pre-approval to buy an investment property in Melbourne, okay? So, he sets everything up as an investment property. However, it just so happens for the first two years of that property's life, he'll live in it. So, then that takes a lot of the pressure off. If his income does change and gets choppy and he can't afford to service it himself, he can go and live with his partner, rent somewhere cheaper and just throw a tenant in there. Mm. But but does can't he do that if it's an owner occupier? Yes, but I'm just talking more strategy. So yeah. we're getting a mortgage 
at the moment with an offset account, we're not paying any down, yeah. anything else down. Like yeah. we're not going to get a vanilla mortgage and just pump it and then we have to mm. later on down the track refi it, pull money out. Oh no, we've broken tax laws because we're flushing money around. Yeah. So it can be an owner-occupier loan, which is going to get him the best rate, but That's it just needs structure. to come with an offset. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So in our mind, this is an investment property, Yeah. but we'll do some things around the corners to... I don't know. Yeah, and, and just for everyone else listening to us rambling on, I think we need to also understand that um, investment or owner-occupier, you need to understand the difference between how much they'll borrow or how much the banks will lend you if it's for investment purposes versus owner-occupier purposes. So get that test done with your broker. Yeah. So they're, they're I, I, I might have confused it a bit, so we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was clear in my own head. Always are. Uh, there's another question from Daniel, and this is probably a really uh, fast one. And again, he sent that through to questions at mymillennial.money. You can tell I've cleaned out this inbox yesterday and yeah. got some questions out. Hi, thanks for the podcast. Great insights. You talk about drawing funds out of your mortgage to potentially purchase shares, assuming there's reasonable equity uh, in a principal place of residence. Quick question on the mortgage. Is this a second loan or one split so you can purpose slash claim the interest uh, deduction. Most loans that I can see for such a purpose like an equity loan carry a higher interest rate. Can this be avoided? So I think before we get into answering Daniel's question, and thanks for listening, Daniel, appreciate you. Before we answer that question, let's just make an assumption that you own a $500,000 townhouse somewhere. There is a $250,000 mortgage on it. So the LVR is 50-50. So the loan to value, loan of 250, value 500, loan to value ratio is 50%. You then call the bank or your mortgage broker and say, hi, there's equity in this property. I would like to set up a second mortgage of $50,000. So what, and because you, we're still under LVR thresholds and whatnot. So in theory, what would happen the broker would probably just tell the bank that wants a new kitchen or something like that. <laughs> now I'm really not a broker because I probably not have a license. Uh, <laughs> and then they would say, you'd open your internet banking and there'd be one line item that says mortgage 250. There'll be another line item that says mortgage 50. They're both owner occupied and one of them can be drawn down to then renovate your kitchen. Yes. So, if you did that at the last minute, Daniel, you could decide this loan of $50,000, it still has an interest rate. Why are you smiling? <laughs> Am I going to get fined if I'm a broker? <laughs> hey, this is as real as it gets, people. <laughs> Don't you comment. You're a licensed professional. Um, and then what happens is that $50,000 mortgage has the same interest rate as the owner occupier. Oh, I don't want a new kitchen anymore. I'm going to take that $50,000 and go buy an ETF with it over here. Mm. But I've only ever used this $50,000 mortgage for an investment. Therefore, it's a separate mortgage. I can track those interest repayments and I'm going to put those interest repayments on my tax return as an investment cost. 
Correct. So there, yeah, you're right, uh, Daniel, and great question. It is a loan split. So as Glenn said, you can visually see that there's two separate loans there on your internet banking, and it's all about your intent. So what do you intend to do with this money? And, and then what you end up doing with it, you then tell your accountant and they can track yeah. it and claim whatever's uh, deductible based on the fact that it's income producing. Yeah, so really straightforward. So Captain Charcoal, uh, I'm not sure if that's a real name, but if it is, that's freaking awesome. Generalized question. This is like a property uh, podcast today, sponsored by My Millennial Property. <laughs> hey folks, I've been loving the recent Q&A style episodes. Our pleasure. I know you can't give personal advice, but thought this might be a good case study for the show. My generalized question, is now the time to be thinking about selling property? Question mark. And if so, what would you do with the profits? Question mark. I'm 24 and I've received a property through an inheritance last year. It's a one bedroom unit in a resort on the Sunshine Coast, currently in the holiday letting pool. It was purchased two years ago for 350k circa and is conservatively worth around 400k today, with one agent suggesting 450 is a possibility. It Sell is, it. It is fully paid off. So unencumbered. It is performing okay having returned 2.8% net, which is 6.8% gross, according to Chaplain Charcoal, <laughs> Captain Charcoal, but Body Corp and other fees are quite hefty. I'm thinking of possibly selling it and buying another investment property that is more of a classic three-bed, two-bath with good yields. Would love to hear both of your thoughts. Cheers, Captain Charcoal. <laughs> All right, sell it, move on. Next question. Yeah, that's um, a straightforward one. A question, John. I wonder if Captain Charcoal, imagine if it was like this Instagram account or he's, he's a YouTuber with like a barbecue. <laughs> Can someone Google Captain Charcoal? Owns a chicken shop. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. No, seriously, um, I certainly, if you haven't heard my thoughts on this, um, I've been a bit vocal over the course of the last two minutes on what I'm doing with this property. <laughs> you have. Uh, what would you do, Jonathan? Hi, oh, look, I, Are I'm... Are you a Jonathan? No. Okay. I'm not a big fan of holiday letting pools. Um, I think the property becomes old a lot quicker than it needs to because it's it's just repetitive use, um, different parties in there, cleaning, all that sort of jazz. And generally speaking, there's a lot of for lease, for, for sale signs happening. It's in a complex that's not always desirable and it gets old very quickly, as I mentioned. Uh, and the growth is far inferior than a lot of other asset types. So, yeah, look, it's unbelievable that you've received this uh, property that's unencumbered with no debt, uh, roughly 400k, maybe even 450. There's two options here. One is sell, um, take the money, and go and put it all into better Bitcoin. Oh, <laughs> better assets. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, the other part of this says, well, hang on a minute, I've got an asset there, it's giving me nearly 7% gross yield. Uh, by the way, the net is not that flash, there's, there's obviously some large running costs to, and that's the other downside of these type of properties. Um, but can I get some equity out of that property to go and purchase something else? My strategic brain would start to think about that. Have a chat with the mortgage broker if you, if you want to grow a portfolio. 
Uh, and thanks for asking me what I thought of this as well, John. Well, you already told us at the start. <laughs> what would you do, Glenn? Oh, thanks for asking. No, I, I just want to say in all seriousness, the reason why I would be getting rid of it straight away uh, and firstly, uh, condolences if the inheritance has come from someone close to you who's passed. Yes. Uh, but in not all cases, the inheritance do come from, from that uh, manner. But firstly, if you had 450K in cash right now, you're not going to go to a resort pool or whatever they call it, holiday property and, and buy that. You're just not doing it. So, you've kind of got to reverse engineer the thought process to go, well, if I wouldn't do it if I had the chance well, okay, this has just been an inheritance. Uh, if I sell it now, get the 450. In, when you get an inheritance, the CGT cost base starts for you when you get that property. So, uh, you inherited it yesterday. Uh, we can sell it for 450 today. There's no tax event, realistically. You might have some closing costs from an agent. So, that's first and foremost, get rid of it. But secondly, I think you need to get it gone while the getting's good because some of these smaller properties and there's a question in the Facebook group and someone I was talking to the other day had a small one better thing in terms of people being able to borrow from banks to buy these things it can be really tricky because a lot of banks won't touch small properties so uh, under 50 squares is usually. that it yeah. yeah so you know you said what to do with the money and the profits well I think anything else than have a property in a resort <laughs> yeah, that's but right. But I think you've got an obligation to the person who left you that money to actually reinvest it into property or reinvest it into growth assets so you never lose that money. Yeah, yeah. And we, we don't know the situation as to whether we can talk to that person about do we mind do you mind if we want to sell it? Mm. Like we, we want to maybe look at other other markets. But yeah, easy thing to do is is look at comparable sales of one bedroom units in that particular resort in the last five, ten years, however old it is, I don't know. But, yeah, do a bit of research from that point of view. But, yeah, it's not an asset class that we think will perform long term. And and realistically, if it was worth 450 and there was in the the next street over a normal townhouse for 450 with a three bed and two bath, I know where I'd want my 450. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back and talk about another inheritance question. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, we're back. Hi, Glenn, John and team. I have a question about inheritance buying first home and moving overseas. Would love your thoughts, please. I'm 24, single, working full-time, no debt with 50K saved, including emergency fund. I'm about to receive 300 grand as an inheritance. But just on that, like I'll just sidebar, John, a lot of people say, you know, you can't save money and all that stuff. We see so many of you that write in who are under 25, under 30, that still either live at home or live out of home and have good savings. So, you can actually save money if you put a freaking plan in place and stop buying crap with your money. Yeah, and just on that as well, 
like a lot of these people have been saving money since their first job at 14. Mm. So it's actually been 10 years maybe for yeah, this. It certainly can. wasn't me. I was spending every cent. Mm. Uh, my instinct is to put down a deposit for a home, put some into shares or save some for private health cover and a holiday fund. However, I would like to move and work overseas in two years post-COVID and all that stuff uh, and then return to Australia after a couple of years but may move city at some point, Okay. Am I better off waiting till I return to purchase a home or purchase it in six to 18 months and rent it out while I'm overseas? Part of me wants to get into the market ASAP. I'm a bit unsure if I want the commitment of a mortgage at this stage while I'm uncertain um, of my long-term plans. Or maybe you have some other ideas that I haven't thought of. Thanks so much. Love your work. Anonymous. (laughs) Good question, Anonymous. Thank you. So there's a lot going on there. Mm. Do you want to start to tackle some of that? Yeah, so not sure how much we can borrow in this situation. I know we're working full time and we're 24. So I'm going to assume that we're able to uh, to, to service a loan, no problems on this full time income. So if, if that's the case, we've definitely got our deposits in order because we've got our 300k inheritance. I would be getting into the market before... I move overseas or work overseas. And, and this was me, Glenn, back in uh, 2001. Uh, I knew I was going overseas for 12 months. And I thought, well... I was a child then. Yes, and, and most of you listening probably weren't even around. Um, but any case, I made the decision to get into property before I went away overseas so that my thinking, my, my thought process was during that 12 months or if I stay longer, great... Uh, my my assets hopefully working for me and uh, and that that was what I really say to most people who ask me that question should I wait till I come back um, if you if you're in a position where you can buy now um, regardless of what the markets are doing I would uh, put my hard-earned into an asset class straight away what would you do Glenn I'm just um, working out something on my calculator now the the comment there about unsure if I want the commitment of a mortgage at this stage, mm. what is the commitment of a mortgage? Um, like everyone's risk profile is different. Yeah, it's funny that because the commitment of a mortgage is to pay back the scheduled amount each month and we know that before we go into it. Yes, and but <laughs> what, what, what anonymous may mean by that is... Uh, Love you, it's, anonymous. It's a burden or a, or a stress, mm. the fact that I have to come up with that amount each month. Mm. But if I've got a tenant in there that's covering 80, 90%, maybe even 100% of the running costs of that mortgage, yeah, we're all good. then we're okay with that commitment, I suppose. So it's a bit like finding a partner for the first time. Do I, do I want to stay single or do I want to uh, improve my life <laughs> in most cases? Yeah. Okay, Anonymous, this is what I would probably do. I think because you are going to go overseas and um, you know, maybe in two years and then come back and maybe move to another place. I think if you are looking for a property to purchase with this money, uh, it's not a property to live in. So I, from me looking at all this, I don't think the property that you are purchasing is for you to live in. Keep renting, keep living at home, wherever you're living with a share house, just keep doing that uh, because that will take a lot of mental pressure off you having to come up with mortgage repayments and all that stuff, even though it, it could be a small mortgage. So I'm probably ruling out principal place of residence in this situation. 
even if she can he or she can rent it out when she goes overseas? Yeah, sure. It, it kind of goes back to Jimmy's thing. Like, mm. let's just go in strategically, yeah. buying a quote-unquote investment property. Mm. Sure, if I can live in it for the next year with a friend and yeah. service the mortgage, awesome. Yeah. Uh, because realistically, um, where Anonymous is living, she might, and it's a chick, she might not be able to afford it anyway. So, it then mm. comes to an investment, investment. discussion yeah. if it is a property. Yeah. Uh, so, that's what I'll probably be doing, but I made some other notes. Um, if property isn't on your agenda or if you aren't really concerned about being a property owner, landlord, landlady, when you are overseas, even if there is an agent, uh, because you don't have to buy property. Like, what? <laughs> what did you say? You don't, yeah, you don't bloody have to buy property. Uh, I just want to unpack a few things here. Uh, 50K saved because you want a holiday fund. Let's carve out 15 grand for your emergency fund and it probably is a generous emergency fund. So, we've got 35 grand less. There's your, um, there's your holiday fund. Done. Um, I'm not interested in saving private health cover. Uh, just get insurance. You know, don't self-insure that. Um, that's probably a whole other kettle of fish that I've may have pissed a lot of people off, but if you do have some medical concerns or if you're not in 100% tip-top shape, uh, just get private health insurance, move on. Now, and keep fit. And keep fit. So, that realistically means this 300 grand inheritance um, is for investing for the future. Sure, if you want to carve out another 20 grand, so you've got a 50 grand at least kicker, when you go overseas, you might put a bond down in London or whatever and because it's bloody expensive. You might need 10 grand for a bond in town or something oh, ridiculous. Like you said a bomb. No, <laughs> bond. <laughs> yep. So, cool. realistically, if you do want to carve 20 grand out of that inheritance for fun or whatever, because I, I think it's, you know, we get an inheritance. We do have a responsibility to invest it for the future, I believe, but I think you're allowed to actually enjoy that as well and also give some away. So, even if you carved out 20 grand, donated 10 grand to a charity of choice or a handful of charities claimed it on tax, awesome. So, we've got 280 grand of that. I would just be getting some advice if you're not comfortable with, you know, being self-directed and you can have a look at the videos that I've got with the Vanguard personal investor and all that, but, you know, just put it in the ETF and any extra money that you're saving between now and going away while you're working, just put your savings into that ETF because you're going to be cash heavy. You've got your emergency fund. You may have up to 50 grand that you're being cash heavy with until you go overseas. Just pump the rest of your savings into that ETF portfolio or investment portfolio. Mm. Now, I'm not, in this instance, if you went to, you know, sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help and I introduce you to an advisor and you had to pay $3,000 for some formal financial advice that they can sit down and walk you through and all that, People out there think, oh, $3,000, it's such an expensive thing, it's a rip-off. It's like, no, back the truck up, that's only 1% of the $300,000. So, within the first six months, ordinarily, that 1%, we paid back. Yeah. So, let's not you know, have a fit when we hear someone saying, you want me to pay $3,000 or $4,000 for financial advice? And I will say, in this situation... $3,000 is probably the top end for some ad investment advice through one of my partners. Mm. Like we're talking 1% or if you did the 280, 1.07% of the initial investment to get some advice that you're yep. comfortable with. Yep. I'm doing that all day long. So, 
that's what I would do. I would probably, you know, if property isn't on your horizon or you're not that interested, put the money to work mm. for the next couple of years, go overseas in a couple of years post-COVID, enjoy life while you're overseas, you know that money's working for you. And before you go overseas, because you're going to have that money saved, you can just keep putting your savings into that uh, share portfolio. Yeah. And then if there is a, an emergency or something crazy while you're overseas and you were running on the line and you did need $10,000 for an emergency or something, the portfolio is liquid. It's always there. But you do have your emergency fund anyway, which I suspect will stay uh, at that amount while you're overseas. But worst case scenario is that extra security blanket, you've got a liquid investment there. Mm. Yeah, I think you've gone off track there. I probably have. Because um, her, you said she was female. Yeah. Her instinct is to put down a house deposit and she's saying, am I better off waiting till I return to buy a house or buy one before I go? So her intention is to buy a house. Yeah, but then again, I will just refer you to the last point there before she signed off. She said an or, or maybe you have some other ideas that I haven't thought of. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I did have some ideas that she didn't think of. And maybe you did. And maybe, maybe I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also uh, anonymous. Again, just reach out. Um, $350, Clarity Call with John. Spend 45 minutes, an hour with him. Uh, let's face it, you got the money. And um, <laughs> uh, and just get some clarity. You can't yeah. wreck it. Like if you, if you no. get some solid advice around a diversified share or ETF portfolio or some quality advice around uh, property direction and strategy. With this amount of money, we know you're good with money because you've got 50 grand saved. You've got no debt. You can't wreck this. No. You can only wreck it if you throw 300 grand into Dogecoin. You you can't wreck it. Well, you you can wreck it, but the chances of wrecking it are slim. But the chances of it putting in a wrong asset are definitely high Mm. in a lot of people's cases. Yeah. And, and, and this, this whole conversation, and I suppose I'm referring more so to property, but when we look at houses versus apartments, like it's, it's Venus and Mars at the minute. Mm. So, yeah, not just throwing it down on anything that you can afford. Yeah, but with good advice, there's a very, very low chance of wrecking it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. extremely low. Yeah. And if in doubt, get the inheritance throw it in an online bank somewhere for six months and don't do anything for the first six months. Like feel yeah. the, the weight of that wealth and the responsibility of that 300 grand mm. in a different online savings account. Yeah. And because even if it was on, in an online savings account getting 1% for the first six months, again, you can't wreck it. Yeah. You can really feel the gravity of that money in your account. Totally. Let's, uh, let's do one more question. It's, again, it's just another bloody property question. It's a bit of a property day today. Uh, It's an anonymous post in the Facebook group. Help! Fell in love with our dream home while scrolling this morning. It goes to auction in two weeks. Uh, One million purchase price, combined income of 180K, 130 gram cash. There's a bit of hex debt. Uh, They've got a 500K apartment already with 415 owning. Uh, They've been in it for eight months, need to keep it for 12. Uh, we have some lovely fam who could help with another 50K if we need to. I think this might be an old-fashioned case of we got the old heebie-jeebies excited on the weekend. Yeah, we did indeed. 
I mean, if you've got your first home slash apartment um, that you need to keep it for 12 months, and I don't know, John, on the the state-by-state limits. I know in New South Wales, you have to live in it for six months within the first 12. Yeah. Are there any other... Yeah, Victoria's 12 of 12. Um, yeah. I, and there's a few others. I mean, so. if you're in Victoria, uh, wait another three months and then... I mean, yeah, start researching well, now, but don't go borrowing money from family and getting all heebie-jeebie trigger happy. But by the time it's sold, they're going to probably... And settled, it's going to be... The 12 months going to be up anyway. Um, I, I probably would add though, John... Um, if, for example, there was a first homeowner grant or something here of 15 grand or 10 grand and we could get another higher mortgage, you know, I, I dare say this, you know, I wouldn't do this unguided without professional help. Uh, there could be an argument if you really got onto the right deal to pay back that grant to move into the next thing and all that. If the pl- absolute planets aligned and you had to do it and all that. Yeah, well, I'm looking at this saying, being in at eight, needed to keep it for 12. So, that tells me it's a first homeowner's Great. arrangement. Yeah. So, they're not going to get anything with this second pri- uh, second purchase, one, because of the purchase price, and two, because it seems though they're already using that first homeowner's grant. So, uh, two questions for Anonymous. Uh, one is, how long have we been looking? Well, I reckon 10 minutes over the weekend. So, if it's 10 minutes, no. <laughs> just put a line through it and, and um, out for five. Have, have a good strategy mm. and um, do your research. Um, number two, uh, have, we, have we understood the repayment implications on a 900-odd K mortgage and are we happy with that for the next five to 10 years? Are we having kids? What, what's our situation look like? Like the combined income's great, um, but... Yeah, we're going to have the best part of 900 over our head right now. Um, And then the third part is dream home. I've probably found my dream home 52 times in my life. So I think uh, this one might be a little bit premature and and we can work our way to our dream home, whether that's in the next three months, six months or six years. And, And you don't have to have it all today. Uh, whilst property prices are continuing to move and I think they'll continue to move, you've got to be realistic in your search for, for getting the right thing that suits you, your strategy, your lifestyle, everything else. I'd probably say as well, just finishing up because we need to end this episode, John, you've got your home, you've got your first property. A lot of people can't do that. We don't know your age. Like, let's just chill out, enjoy it. Because I don't want you to have to go to parents to borrow another 50 grand and all that. Like, mm. it just to me, and I can be cheeky because this is anonymous and I don't know the person, like, just chill the F out. Like, I, I, like, I don't know. It just seems to me, like, okay, it's, and the reason why I threw it in there, because on the weekend, I was doing the same thing. You know how I've been saying I'm looking at rentals in Merriweather and all that? Yes. Well, old Glennie over here decided to click the buy section instead of rent section. <laughs> so now he needs $2 million for a freaking house. But it's just not ha- like I got all caught up and I'm like, yeah. you know, getting the heebie-jeebies and it's like, well, it's not actually that. I'm like My emotions got ahead of me, John. Yeah. No, look, and, th- and that's, it happens with the best of us, doesn't it? And the worst of me. <laughs> But just quickly, 900k at 2% interest rate doesn't actually seem that much, like 18 grand a year in, in interest. Add principal onto that, you might be up for 30 odd grand a year. Mm. Might seem extremely manageable, but things change in 
quick succession if interest rates rise we have to have one off to have a child etc etc so yeah factor in everything um and dream homes come along once a week yeah i'd probably say the hex debt's probably going to help hurt them with serviceability as well because remember when you have hex debt the banks and lenders they don't care if it's a five million dollar hex debt or five dollar hex debt they're going on serviceability yeah but and while you're on that, I think a lot of people go to want to pay that off first before they go and buy something. Just speak to your broker first, yeah. people. Manage it. Yeah. It's not a bad, bad debt. All right, guys, you've been real. I've been Glenn, and this guy's been... John. I'll uh, see you guys soon. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.